0: David one you're listening to time for your hobby and this is episode 132 send me back in time i'm your host alex and today i have the honor to have chris as my guest on the show how you doing today
1: i'm doing well sir yourself
0: i am doing splendid quite splendid i can't complain about the weather so other than that uh can't complain about the sun bouncing off my head you know because it's hot but you know other than that i'm fine
1: (laughs) yeah we've had a break in the weather here too it's uh, the sun shining uh generally i'd be flying this time of day uh but, uh, you know, you take, the, take it how you can get it.
0: So you said flying. So do you fly a plane or I'm curious so about that? <laughs> I,
1: um, I have no shortage of uh, things I do. But, um, yeah, I'm a part-time flight instructor. So I, I sit in the right-hand seat and watch people in the left-hand seat make mistakes. And, you know, hopefully <laughs> every time they fly, they're making a few less mistakes until at such a point. I go, hey, let me have you fly with this other guy. He'll He'll make sure you don't make any mistakes either or at least nothing that. Uh, not reversible, and then they become pilots like me.
0: I actually interviewed a guy and I released this episode two episodes ago about being a pilot. <laughs> so there it goes, connecting worlds th- together. But today we're not going to be talking about being a pilot, although it's kind of related to your hobby. But before we do that, who is Chris?
1: I'm originally from Alaska. I fly planes. I'm a full-time professional writer, and in my spare time, of which is very little, Um, I write stories about aviation accidents, as well as collect stamps and things related to aviation history.
0: Everything related to air and air uh, air mail, stamps, anything that travels, that's that's you.
1: (laughs) Pretty much. I mean, I've got a whole, I collect. It's just part of my genome. Uh, My folks were collectors. My grandparents were all collectors. Um, I've got better stuff than I would say most of them, Um, but I, I got into it you know, through genetics, really. I've got little pieces of very old airplanes, various NASA projects, manufacturing collectibles. Um, But it really all started going back to stamps.
0: Well, you know what? This is how we're going to get along because I collect hobbies. I also collect vinyls. I used to collect coins. I I like collecting.
1: Yeah, I've I've got the coins as well. Uh, Not as much. My dad's really the the big coin, uh, news, 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 news this, of which my pronunciation is absolutely atrocious, that philately, which is stamp collecting, uh, and all its associated stuff, uh, flatalists, I think, which sounds like something, you know, you, you wouldn't want to be caught doing <laughs> in public, but nevertheless, it, it, it's a goal. You can't quite do it all, but you got, you find your little niches that you like and something that speaks to you and, it's a part-time thing. Better than playing
0: in traffic. Yeah, I, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Unless you're chasing one of your stamps cause that you lost in the wind, but I'm sure that doesn't right. happen.
1: <laughs> no, no, no They you know maybe the air conditioning from the uh, the Hilton lobby or ballroom, wherever the stamp show is. But in general, they're kept pretty uh, climate controlled. Growing up, the first room in my house that had air conditioning was a wine cellar slash where the safe was. Uh, which had my dad's coin collection in it. And by extension, occasionally some of my early stamps would hide out in there as well.
0: Oh man, I have so many questions. Like everything you said, I'm like, oh, I want to ask about that. I want to ask about that.
1: Hey, yep, you got a list of <laughs> uh, uh, you
0: know. I'm running it all down right you. now. <laughs> but actually, before we go into too far, do you have any social media links, websites, or even projects that you're working on where people can come show some love?
1: Um, you know, the the collecting aspect of things not as much, just because I've kind of kept certain aspects of that a little close to the vest right, because of some of the individual collecting projects from that. Um, my aviation writing, um, the history aspect is check Uh check spelled out like a bank check hyphen uh, six spelled out six.com. Um, and then there's my also my professional writing resume website, which also has some of my flight instruction you know, get to know me stuff, which is Christopher freeze.com uh, uh, spell, you know, freezes in cold, like the Batman character, which was uh very fun going through army boot camp uh, the summer the Batman Robin movie came out. having <laughs> I mean, to quote, all sorts of cheesy Schwarzenegger lines.
0: Well, you know what? I'm going to put all those down below. So it will be very easy for people to just click follow. And of course, show some love and maybe even learn how to fly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, and I'm on social media. I've got, you know, that's mrfreeze.com. Um, I've got my YouTube channel, which is mostly flying stuff, although to give you the URL for that is the long UK flower G, lowercase question mark, smiley face uh, (laughs) URL. But, um, you know, through all my other social media stuff, it's connected there. But yeah, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. My cat's on Instagram.
0: Why not? Yeah. Okay. you know what? I'm going to share all of those. Yeah. He's got my more active followership (laughs) than I do, though. so. So you're telling me I should interview your cat
1: um he's not that much of a conversation he'll talk but he'll just a little bit more of a, a
0: monotone there i'll just have to make sure to bring some treats and food right and then it will be good um
1: he, he is very treat motivated he has his exercise <laughs> wheel he's uh got his kitty tree you yeah, know he's completely spoiled beyond all belief
0: <laughs> well you know what maybe one day we'll interview but for now the spotlight is on you and we're going to just give you all the i say we but i'm going to give you all the attention you deserve
1: Anything that uh, for the hobby?
0: Yes, we're making time for it. And so, speaking of which, how did you get introduced to stamps and collecting? It's called airmail. Actually, before that, what define what is airmail compared to mail?
1: <laughs> yeah, so you got. There's a couple definitions we'll throw out here. Stamp collecting, or philately, uh, is collecting postage um from anywhere in the world you, i focus primarily on mint stamps from the united states but they can be unused or used stamps generally by themselves and to break that down from there mail as you're used to is the piece of mail that you get in the ma- ma- um in the mail every day what not so much a junk mail but stuff that has stamps on it or postmarks you know and that's the envelope is what's called a cover basically covering whatever it is that the actual thing that's being shipped to you airmail goes back to pretty much the time there were airplanes up to now the present things that were covers pieces of mail that were flown on airmail flights in the united states uh, officially sanctioned airmail started may 15 1918 starting in washington dc going to new york there were flights earlier than that that were unofficially sanctioned. Uh, I think the earliest airmail flight you'd find was if you'd go back to Santa Rosa, California. I can't remember the specific year. I want to say it was 1911 um, where a guy flew from one valley to another, uh, a couple pieces of mail, just as kind of a publicity stunt. Oddly enough, at so virtually at the same time on the other side of the world in India – Uh, Someone was doing exactly the same thing. So there's a debate as to where the first airmail flight was and that most people credit it to the U.S. based on time zones and the like. But a a good idea has a thousand fathers, failures, and orphan. People saw that these events happened, um, that there were these significant, hey, first, this was a first. So they kept a souvenir of it, which would be, in that case, the piece of airmail, uh, the envelope that whatever was being shipped in. Uh, and they just kept on doing it. Anytime a new flight, you know, oh, there there were a lot of firsts in the early days. So the first flight going from fill-in-the-blank airport A to fill-in-the-blank airport B, um, that would be a significant thing, and you would even have local community groups create special either postmarks or marks on the envelope, what we would call a cachet, uh, symbolizing the event. It could be a rubber stamp. It could be hand-drawn, Um, In later years, they became engraved, uh, printing just like you would have uh, on a dollar bill, the the Intaglio uh, lithograph press on there. And, you know, it's a piece of history. It was there at a particular moment, flown, carried on the airplane. Uh, Sometimes they'd be signed by the pilots or the local postmaster or whoever made the cachet, you know, and they were (laughs) for everything.
0: Man, now it makes me think, have you seen, like, say, in a museum, the first Or the most, or the oldest airmail ever preserved?
1: Well, I've got one from the first US flight, that May 15, 1918, which, believe it or not, to think, oh, well, it's only a single piece of mail, tons and tons, tons is extreme. Sacks of mail were flown on these flights because people did kind of ahead of time recognize the significance of it. Now, granted, they're still highly sought after. To get them in great condition can be hundreds of dollars. So, that's not the most expensive one I I've got, obviously, because rarity and availability and you know, that entire curve don't always pair up. Um, the most expensive one I have is for a very off you know, unheard of flight, but yet it's very significant because of every if you go back into history, everyone who was involved with it and what it was and who it was who signed it, who it was postmarked to the fact of the condition of it are all um (laughs) yeah years later i'm still kind of kicking myself over (laughs) i'm I'm glad i bought it but man it was a spendy one
0: but you have part of history now which is really cool
1: right what's great is you can have a story going from one particular instance to a cover marking 25 years later the anniversary of that instance And someone replicating that flight or doing something in honor of it uh, to the 50 year mark later. That's not so much what I collect, but those items exist.
0: This might be a really, really odd question, but do you think, and you can correct me if if I'm wrong, because I am wrong quite often, but do you think that this, like the airmail concept was pulled inspiration from carrier pigeons? Probably
1: it harkens back more to the railroad um, and, and first trips in the city and the like. Um, there are particular ones that I have seen out there. I don't collect them. I, I go more into the space and, and and first flights and generally kind of military project ones. But I could see there being a connection. I, I have seen items flown on carrier pigeons, you know, just from the trustworthiness of whether or not a pigeon's going to get there or not. Uh, and it's a little bit harder to postmark and the reliability of them um, or that. But, you know, there are experts out there who can convince a pigeon to do pretty much anything.
0: You know, what, there's no like uh, tracking code on a pigeon.
1: <laughs> in right, the air. Right. yeah. Signature confirmation. And, there's, uh, a,
0: there's a delay. It's going through UPS. The pigeon has like a logo UPS on it. <laughs> you right, yeah. And for you, wh- how did you get introduced to collecting stamps?
1: I... Moved to my my folks moved from Alaska to California in the mid eighties, um, and one of the first places in terms of for lack of a better term a babysitter. You know they were both working adults. Uh, both uh, dad was in the Coast Guard. Mom was actually a civilian working for the Coast Guard um, after having been. She was one of the first women in the Coast Guard back in the mid seventies. Uh, but I was staying at uh, another family in the morning. You know, wait, basically waiting for school because the folks went off to work at seven in the morning. Um, and so when school get done, go over to their house again. It was the, the little family. And they were the son there had just gotten one or two packets from a family member of all sorts of foreign stamps and kind of a topical uh, album that I don't think the post service made them, but were commercially available. And so, as a result of that, he got more a little bit more interested in the stamps. Which, of course, he needed someone to talk about this stuff too. So I got somewhat interested in stamps. And what I didn't realize at that point is my mom had been collecting annual sets of stamps that the post office puts out every year. You know, they'll put out an album of here's an unused copy of every single stamp we we issued that year. So going back to when I was born to that point, it's like oh. So I had kind of sort of a ready-made collection there. Being an only child, being not having any particular athletic gifts, you know, kind of already having that little bit of collecting genetics in me, it started going from there. And, of course, my parents insisted that if I'm going to do something, I'm not going to half-ass it, I'm going to going to do it right. So I got the professional big, you know, three-, four-inch-thick album, uh, didn't use hinges, used professional... Uh, non-contact mountings on the stamps, uh, and got caught up in the album going back, oh, God, to early 1900s. Uh, I got kind of picked the intermittents. You know, as a kid, you don't have much of a budget, you know, making $4 a a week mowing the lawn on a good week, but still collecting these high-end-ish stamps, going to stamp shows, you know working the deals out there with vendors who you know see a young kid coming up, uh which still comparably i'm I am the age that I am and still relatively young in the hobby, so it's it, it kind of just went from there in terms of, okay, I got this and got my stamp collecting merit badge when I went into the Boy Scouts. That was the second merit badge I got, uh first aid being the first one, and went through high school, kind of. It fell on the back burner, went to college, fell on the back burner. Once in college, um, though, I started my aviation history website and started really going in depth to some of the stories that I wrote. And of course, you don't I, I, I'd grab every single little piece of information I could integrate it in you know, c- connect all the dots, really try to build a full and complete picture. Well, there'd always be, when it came to early commercial flights, they'd talk about, well, it was carrying airmail, and so much of it would be saved, so much of it would have burned up. And I started wondering, well, okay, if someone saved the mail, that means there's got to be something of that left somewhere. And sure enough, I found that there was this entire world called interrupted mail, or crash covers, so you could tie it to a particular moment, you know, a tragedy. And so I've picked up a few of those over the years. They're kind of one of the tougher items to get. Just because people can be a little squeamish about the fact that they are associated with tragedy, not a lot of them survived. Not a lot of them were well marked as to the fact that it came from a crash. And that kind of leads me to today where, you know, starting from there, I grew out from there wanting to send me first flight of a B 52 or third flight across the Atlantic, or, you know, the very first airmail flight. So you just find those little stories that you go, oh, okay, I want something from that. And of course, the price is such that you go, well, hey, for a piece of history, sure.
0: Yeah, it's justified. Because I remember uh, I used to work at Vimy Ridge in France and I found uh, uh, used, I found shrapnel, barbed wire and a bullet. I'm like, oh, you know what? I don't think anybody else is going to use it. I might as well just clean it up and give it to a friend who really appreciates history. And he really did. He has it in his house displayed. and It's kind of cool to have that and yeah, <laughs> but, I, but
1: I, one of the problems you have there is providence. So you go, OK, it's shrapnel, but where did it come from? You you know the story. You were able to share the story, but that story can quickly get lost after the third or fourth telling or, or it getting passed around. The great thing about something like th- these is they sit, have the story on them. They have, you know, here's the postmark. Boom, the date, the story in terms of the cover. If it's signed by someone, it's all almost self certifying and of course it's the kind of thing that they're really really difficult to uh copy or duplicate or or uh fake doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but the providence the, the, it's self providency if that's a word
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 it's a word now we 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 coined it it's it's our word <laughs> So on that note, uh, I'm guessing like you have stamps throughout the decades and you can tell how the stories are being told and explaining what happened throughout that decade or year or month because I'm sure they come out with new stamps quite often. So on, on that note, what is the most interesting stamp that you have found, whether you know what's going on in the stamp or you're still to this day trying to figure it out?
1: The most interesting one that I've ever seen it goes back to the Inverted Jenny, which is the, the fabled 24-cent stamp, one of the first airmail stamps, where it was pr- printed on two plates. And accidentally, one of the plates got flipped over, and oddly enough, it was the the airplane was blue, and the, the frame of it was red, the two separate plates. And so you ended up with an upside-down airplane inside the red frame, uh, only a, a sheet of one of the – of 100 – uh, got out. So there's a hundred of those stamps in the world, and you know, they've been associated with good luck, bad luck. They they go for a fortune nowadays because again, there's only a hundred of them, and they're kind of the the pinnacle of airmail collecting. Um, none of them ever have been reported as used, so they're all in you know beautiful condition. A lot of them are in museums. In terms of stuff that I've got in my collection, there there's some foreign ones. I, I really don't collect overseas airmail. Although I have been a little bit for a particular project I'm working on down the road, early stamps are, are just you know they were little pieces of America. They they were representative of what uh, the country saw about themselves. Uh, the the Jennies were the, on the first three. They kind of did some more symbology in the early ones. Lindbergh had ones that there were the Graf Zeppelins, uh, and then they started going into more the World War II kind of propaganda for a while, or just keeping a very simple design. And then they started commemorating people, Amelia Earhart, uh, Samuel Langley, the Wright Brothers, Igor Sikorsky, so on and so forth.
0: Actually, speaking of which, who was the first person on the stamp?
1: The very first person to be on a stamp? Benjamin Franklin. Yeah, going back to, I think that was 1840-something. Yeah, he was on a five-cent stamp uh, and issued at exactly the same time on a 10-cent stamp, was George Washington? They pretty much kept it to presidents and politicians up until 1892 with the uh, Columbian Exposition, which is when they really came out with the first set of uh, first major set of commemorative stamps, symbolizing you now here's a portrait or a picture of Columbus trying to convince Queen Isabella to finance their journey. Here's the the ships going across the Atlantic, so on and so forth.
0: I could be wrong, but I have a feeling you have all these stamps in your collection. But you can correct me if I'm wrong, but if you do or don't, how big is your collection?
1: Um, so when it comes to the airmail covers, particularly, I'm at around I just cataloged them a few weeks ago, finally. Um, and I was actually surprised by the number both that it was as small as it was and as big as it was. Uh, 350 airmail covers of going, like I said, back to 1918 to mid-February of this year. And then if you want to talk stamps, that's a little bit more of a a soft number. I'd say probably, well, definitely several hundred. If I have a thousand, I'd be surprised. There were a lot of repetitions of various designs in the early years. And like I said, the Columbian expedition was really kind of the turning point in it. Uh, When it comes to individual stamps, I've kind of slacked off on that to focus more on airmail because, like I said, there's more of a story there. They're a lot more rarefied. I can go, you know, if I wanted to go to a stamp show and fill out my collection and get caught up from when I stopped really collecting individual unused stamps, that'd be a piece of cake. It might be a little spendy. I might be spending a lot of time to put them in the proper mounts, to put them in the album, and the like. But at the end of the day, you know, it's not a giant challenge. Airmail, on the other hand, I used to live out in California. I now live out in, by Washington, D.C. And while I was living out in California, it was always a case of the stuff I wanted, I was always told, well, that's on the East Coast. Because if I'm looking for particular postmarks or particular events that happened out in California, well, they were almost always sent to someone in New York or D.C. Mm. or Florida <laughs> or someone on the East Coast. <laughs> so I come out here to the East Coast. Oh, no. Oh, well, now I'm looking for that stuff. And they're like, yeah, well, it all got sent back to the West. <laughs> It's a perpetual hunt. eBay helps, but it's by no means perfect um, because there's a little bit more of a risk. And again, I want to see the stuff. Plus, also, you don't have the relationships there. It's a little bit harder to haggle. You know, you don't get quite as good of a discount. But luckily, I'm in a nice area where there's a bunch of people who are interested in this, relatively speaking.
0: So I have to ask you, is there one stamp that you've been searching for so long, but yet, to find it or capture it? Like, like you said, you went to one state, it was in there, it was moved somewhere else. Has there been like one like that?
1: In terms of a stamp, not, you know, again, not so much on the individual stamps. In terms of covers, I, I as I said, I try to focus on first flights of generally military aircraft or commercial aircraft by that extension. Um, I've got stuff from like the first B-1 flight or the first Boeing 707. The one I got faked out on, the one fake in my collection uh, which is kept, I've kept as a place marker, is from the first XB 70 Valkyrie flight, um, which was the triple mock bomber, big in the 70s. If you go to the Air Force Museum in Dayton, Ohio, it's the big white bird there with the delta shaped wings. Um, only two of them were ever built. The second one crashed in, on June 8th, of 1966. Uh, one of the first crash sites I ever went to was that ticker one down in the Mojave Desert. Still there, you can still stick your a shovel in the soil and plot a piece of silver honeycomb from it. That one holds a particular connection to me. I've seen them around. It's just one of those those trying to justify it at the particular moment to throw down the money on it. because uh, they are semi available. Uh, a cover phone on the first flight of that would be is kind of out there. I'm not a big Lindbergh collector, but yet, you know, he did carry some a few pieces on that on his first transatlantic solo flight, Hindenburg, that's another one. There's a couple individual crashes that I'd like covers from just because I've written about them. I know the story real well. So, and, and like I said, crash covers can be hard to find just because they're 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 tough. They not a lot of them around. Of the dozen or so that I have, I'm pretty happy with some of them. But, you know, I know that there's there's other stories out there to be told uh, uh, and shared in other, other covers to have.
0: Well, you know what? Maybe there's a listener listening to this episode right now and say, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to give mine to Chris.
1: I generally will try to find fair deals on them and, you know, go, hey, what, what do you got there? Okay, you know, here's a good value for it. Yeah, It's generally not the money that's the thing. It's finding it to begin with. Generally, if I can find it, I can... You know, as long as they're reasonable, and I'm reasonable and relatively uh, flush at that moment, I generally err on the side of buying versus not buying. Just from the standpoint of I don't know when I'm going to see it again.
0: You don't want to let it go away, or else it will never appear again. It's just like just out of reach. But right, yeah, that one. <laughs> so, the, so the the gem of my
1: collection, and I, I will not state the the price on it, but came from the third transatlantic flight which was flown by a trimotor aircraft called the America. Leading that group, it, it flew about two months after Lindbergh's flight. It was a multi—it was a crewed airplane, had four people on board. Uh, it was led by, command, at the time, Commander Robert P- uh, Bird, who later went—actually, uh, I think beforehand had done uh, the Arctic Expedition, first person to fly over the uh, North Pole. Also on board was his pilot from that, Bert Balkin, who would, a guy who would go on to later be his commander of his little Antarctica operations, George Norville. And a, another gentleman by the name of Fred Alcosta, uh, Bert Alcosta, sorry, um, who was actually an ace of the Spanish Civil War. So you had all these guys sign this particular cover that was addressed to the ambassador of the United States in France. Oh, by the way, this particular plane crashed. Uh, On the beach that would later become Normandy Beach, or actually it was Gold Beach, sorry, during the D-Day invasions, plane was completely wrecked. Virtually all the airmail on it was destroyed or heavily damaged, except this one. So there might be a few other undamaged ones, but this one is perfect. And like I said, signed by the entire flight crew addressed to the ambassador. I mean, it's if you're going to have one from this particular wreck, this is the one to have. This is the one that I saw and I went, I can't pass this up. I'm not going to get to see this again. Oh, well, are you just in my air- Amelia Earhart cover? Uh, I know Amelia Earhart. Like my Amelia Earhart. I know that there's more Amelia Earhart out there. I don't know that there's more of this out there.
0: I bet you you have this one framed or you have it mounted somewhere so it's nice and really easy to see. But actually, on that note, how do you store your stamps and airmail in order to preserve them?
1: Actually, I do not frame them because sunlight being what sunlight is. Um, I generally keep them in binders in protective pages uh, that have black backings some special archival ones. Generally, they come in already a plastic sleeve from that. Um, and oddly enough, I, you know, that one particular one from the America is in with the general population, because frankly, if I were to segregate it, I'd only risk losing it or damaging it or, you know, my, my family has a bad thing bad tradition of hiding things in special places (laughs) that which you know get forgotten about oh i put it in that special place where was that special and five years later oh yeah that's where it was
0: i can just imagine you're going for cookies like oh wait a second i put stamps in here oh now where's the cookies
1: (laughs) (laughs) what's that burning smell from the oven (laughs) so like i said i I keep them all together also you know if they all go easier if there were an emergency, I could grab one thing or rather two things. First, grab the cat and then second, grab those without having to go for the special spot or uh, reach in the closet back behind the
0: old boom box or whatever. And do you also, let's say, have a database on your computer? Like say, you take a picture and then write a little, I wouldn't say necessarily a full story, but like a little key information about that stamp so you can come back to it and like look at it.
1: Yeah, actually, like I said, a few weeks ago, the first project of this entire emergency was, okay, you know, obviously, I'm not going to be flying in the evenings, I'm not going to be going much of anywhere. What can I do? Hmm, long overdue projects that now I have all this time for. Ah, I'll database my collections. And I've only ever done, I have only done the airmail so far, because once I got through that, it was like, okay, uh, I, I, <laughs> I got there That was, that was rough on the fingers. Um, so that's how I – like I said, I know I have an actual number. I generally organize them by the postmark date on them uh, just for the chronology of it. And then, yeah, I'll have it if it's got multiple postmarks, if it's signed, uh, if it's of a special event, if it's a first flight cover, it does have a stamp on I haven't gotten to the point of making scans and documenting the photos as well yet. I'm still kind of reeling from the fact I had four covers of exactly the same event. But yet they were all different in some measurable, noticeable way.
0: So and this so you have this huge collection and I have a really odd question again. It's great. Would there be a stamp that you would have loved to see made? In other words, or a type of airmail or something that's like, oh, I would have loved to see this building or this event made into a stamp. But you haven't seen that yet.
1: Right now, I've been working on a, a special series of stories for the website about this gentleman who's the pilot's pilot. He was a guy by the name of Bob Hoover. He living legend. I mean in in World War II, he he taught to fly himself. He got shot down on his first dogfight uh in Spitfires. Uh he escaped he got became a prisoner of war, escaped the POW camp, stole uh, a German fighter, flew back to allied lines. Oh wow. And then, at this point, he becomes a test pilot for the Air Force. He was Chuck Yeager's uh, backup pilot for the X-1 program. He later became an air show pilot, could literally work magic with aircraft that you would never think could do anything acrobatic. Twin engine strikes and the like. I had the opportunity to meet him a few years ago, and you just shake his hand and it was, and tell him a story or two. Anyway... Uh, Of what he meant to me, passed away back in October of 2016. I would love to see a postage stamp made honoring him. That's just kind of in the Rolodex because, you know, we honor all these great Americans and uh, great things. And he's just, he's someone who's meant so much to so many people in aviation and was just the kindest guy, would take time to speak with anyone. Everyone has a Bob Hoover story uh in aviation. So, yeah, that's the that's if I want if I someone out to see on a stamp it would be him.
0: Well, you know, if somebody's listening to this right now and would love to do a stamp in his honor, I'm sure Chris would appreciate it. I would appreciate it. Everybody listening would appreciate it. And yeah, it'd be something pretty cool to do.
1: I think so. It's long overdue.
0: Yes. Yes. We need it now as a recording. Yeah. We need it right now. Let's let's just pause this podcast episode and just go demand this stamp to be made. Do we know how to, who to get in contact with?
1: Yeah. Uh, stamps.com. I think you can upload pretty much anything on there. Although I don't think you, I mean, he's, he's passed away, but there's copyright issues, imaging, publicity rights, so on and so forth, but.
0: We'll find the right people to make it happen. There you go. <laughs> Optimistic. We got to just stay. You've got the platform for it. Well, no, this is your voice. This is your episode. This is your platform right now. I'm just the oh. curious, curious individual with all the questions.
1: Hey, ask away.
0: And yeah, speaking about another weird, curious question, how many parcels could one plane carry at that time? Usually.
1: It would be a couple bags of mail. They'd probably do it more in terms of pounds. It'd be a cut. I've seen them probably 200 to 300 early on. Uh, nowadays, though, you know airmail is airmail, and you've got <laughs> I think I read the statistic 300 billion letters sent in 2018, uh, representing ton, me, millions of tons of posts of mail. I mean, that's how the world moves right now is through aircraft. and uh, so much stuff is airmail nowadays that they don't even really delineate it anymore. Airmail is kind of – if I were sending something to you up in Canada, they might call it airmail for the purposes of that. Kind of anytime you send something overseas now, it's really deemed airmail as opposed to back in the day it used to be something that was more expeditious. The fact that, oh, OK, I don't want us to take the train. I don't want us to take the, the, the auto gyre, I want to, to get there now or as fast as possible. And, and it's still like the Pony Express. It would take a day or two for something to get cross-country.
0: But back then, like when you received it, it was really cool. It's kind of like today when you receive mail because everybody's receiving emails now. And when you receive mail from somebody that you didn't expect, it's like, wow, oh, I want to open it right away.
1: Yeah, no, got that today. It was like, oh, I wasn't expecting this. Oh, OK. Oddly enough, it was from the American Fledalist Society. <laughs> so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it's a bill inside of there. <laughs>
1: no, it was uh, my updated membership card and a lot, but it had old stamps on it. And that's, that oh, that's I cool. I was like talked about earlier stamps don't expire so these were stamps from the early 80s on there that i'm like oh okay i know these stamps i mean unfortunately they're used now but you know it, i could tear them off that and give them to a kid and perhaps inspire him to become a collector or her years from now unlikely i mean used stamps aren't as interesting but you know it's something symbolic it's something that's got history to it you say hey this stamp is from before you were born to which i remember when I was collecting stamps like wow that was from before I was I was around so of course now I've got buckets and buckets of this stuff
0: But you don't store them in buckets.
1: <laughs> no, I don't store them in buckets.
0: Perfect. Yes.
1: Have I ever stored them in buckets? Uh <laughs> box- toolboxes, yes.
0: Uh but you know, clean new toolboxes. Yes, yeah. Not on, not one with tools in it. So like you got a wrench and then a stamp underneath. <laughs> oh, and the WD 40 spilled oh no no the, the stamps are lubricated now i can't even stick them on the uh, airmail <laughs> yeah and for you on a personal level what would you say is the best part about collecting stamps and airmail
1: for me it's really the physical connection to some, a piece of history being able to you know hey this was there this was at a at a particular moment in history uh seeing going back the way things, some of the older styles the way people used to write people think you know, handwriting is illegible now. Uh go back to the nineteen thirties and forties when they had the fountain pens, not the ballpoint. Yeah, being able to, like I said, connect it with the story and, and go, okay, you know, who were the people who flew this? You know, the questions that come with it and, and kind of understanding and just that, that
0: connection. And speaking about connecting with the air stamps and the stamps itself, I was gonna say air stamps, air mail, connecting with the air mail and the stamps. What has it taught you in life?
1: Great question. <laughs> Patience, for one, you know, because you can't get it all in one fell swoop, or at least can't afford it. I had a research, looking back, you know, trying to figure. One of the projects I'm working on right now is the association that I work for on for the day job had 24 pilots who were founders of it. And I've been trying to collect airmail covers that were signed by each one of the founders. Um, so finding, the, going in, digging those stories up, Finding out what happened to them when they passed away, when they flew, when they retired, what special things they didn't like for, like, two of them essentially invented air traffic control. Another one received the Congressional Medal of Honor. A couple of them died in various accidents, not necessarily airline accidents, but, you know, one down in Nicaragua, one while working for the state government in Oklahoma working you know meeting with people you know some of the the financial things in terms of you know a little bit of haggling negotiation saving up for stuff really the research i think is probably the big one though just from the having the innate the the curiosity to go okay where can i get that how can i get that where is it available the the reference books that go with it and of course you know meeting the people involved with it all you know the stories that they have learning about some of the the rarities that are out there, stuff that I may not be interested in, but, you know, maybe someone else is.
0: And You, you know what? I can imagine that finding these things can be sometimes frustrating because maybe it's not as clear path as you would have thought. So on that note, has collecting stamps and airmail ever stressed you out? In other words, like You were not able to find something or like you were saying, it was going from state to state to state.
1: Yeah. You know, some of the more petty things out there in terms of, you know, you go to someone you tell them what you're looking for and, you know, they're they're not, uh, it's the same old stock they had last time. It's like, no, 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 I'm looking for this and such. Um, Again, that's where the patience comes in. The the latest one, I'll speak to this, is I actually make airmail covers. And when you go, well, wait a second, what do you mean by that? Well, being a pilot, I fly. And I've had special events that I've done and special things I want to commemorate as a pilot. Uh, when I did my first solo flight, for instance, I carried uh, several, you know, about, about 25 covers on that and then what, carried them on the flight with me. And then when I got done, took them to the post office and got them postmarked. And this is something that anyone can do. It doesn't need to go on an airplane, but to commemorate a special event, you can take an envelope, make a design on it or the like that means something to you put a stamp on it, take it down to the post office, and have it postmarked that day. I've done that about five different occasions now. My first solo, I did it for this one project I did when I was a school teacher. Uh, I was at this NASA thing. We were building and flying high-altitude weather balloons. And as part of that, I was able to get some envelopes and, that were uh, stamped in that. And then once we recovered the balloons, we, I took it to the post office to get marked. Back in '09, I set a speed record in aviation. Oh, wow. And so as part of that, I did uh, postmarks as well. And then this last February, I set a Guinness World Record, uh, longest wheelie in an airplane. Yeah, yeah. I, I hold <laughs> a Guinness World Record. So if you've been watching the global crisis when it comes to the airlines shrinking, they've been storing them at all these various airports. One of them is the Southern California Logistics Airport uh, in Victorville, California. Oddly enough, it has the second longest public runway, paved public runway in the United States, longest being in Denver, which is a major international airport. But Victorville, not so much. So February 14th of this year, I uh, rented an airplane out of a nearby airport and had a surveyor on standby and witnesses on each end and cameras all over the airplane. Um, set the Guinness World Record for the longest wheelie ever done in an airplane. So just like on a motorcycle, you know, but kept the nose wheel up for fourteen thousand three hundred nineteen feet. Of course, that being a big event, and yes, there's my uh, video on my YouTube channel. Uh, Guinness in their March wrap roundup carried footage of it. AOPA, USA Today, Pop Mechanics—all grand stories on it.
0: Oh man, you know what? Because I collect Guinness books of world record every year. I have the one from this year. So you're telling me that. Uh... When next year's one comes out, I'm going to see you in there.
1: Knock <laughs> on wood. They, they don't guarantee that you're going to be in there. But yeah, I've got the certificate hanging in my stairway from this. And if you send me your address, I'll send you one of the covers I carried on the flight.
0: That is awesome. That, that's impressive, man. I, I feel like I should just interview now about uh, planes and all the tricks and all the things you've done with it. But we, we, we can't. We have to do airmail. But we might do another episode in the future for planes. <laughs> Who knows?
1: I, I, I teach people to fly planes real well. Um, But, yeah, the frustration of that particular getting those made because the post office at that particular did not understand the legal rules. And as much as I tried to tell them it was against their understanding and they're like, well, we need to talk to some we need to talk to one of our superiors down in San Diego. It's like, well, no, this is the rule. Well, so I had to kind of negotiate with them to get kind of what I wanted but it got done, but it took a lot more time than it should have, and I didn't get exactly what I wanted, how I wanted it. But it got done, so I have those. If anyone's out there wants to buy one, they're on eBay. If you do a search for airplane wheelie, uh, so.
0: Well, you know what? You send me the link, and then I'll put it in the description below as well, because you know I want to promote you as much as possible. That's my objective here. <laughs> oh well, you shouldn't. Have. I shouldn't do it, but (laughs) I do. I have to do it. It's it's the time for your hobby law.
1: (laughs) Okay, okay, that's fine. As long as as we're being fair and equal, and everyone's getting the uh, oh, everyone,
0: everyone's getting the same treatment. Yes, everyone gets as much love.
1: I mean, I'm not a a shameless self promoter. I mean, the only reason why it got coverage is because a friend of mine works for the associate, uh, the big uh, General Aviation Association, and he's like, "Well, I want to do a video on it." It's like, "Okay, I'll do it." I'll do an interview with you and then it spiraled out from there.
0: You know what? It's a life experience. Not everybody can do that. And I, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate you coming on and sharing your hobby and also sharing your other hobby and how they're connected together. So I thank you for that as well. What was your biggest challenge when you first, this is like away from flying, but what was your biggest challenge when it comes to collecting stamps and airmail?
1: Knowing what to look for early on for me uh, was really part of it. Kind of actually narrowing it down to build a focus. Because there are all of these things that you can collect. You know, early on, I, I spent time at the Air Force Academy, and I was collecting early Air Force Academy covers for a while. Um, a very common thing is what's called first day covers. Whenever a new stamp comes out, the post office will put a, a few on envelope and do a special postmark for that. Um, and so those are highly, highly collectible. You know, like I said, building a focus. And finding that little niche, it's like, okay, crash covers I like, a uh, particular military or civil aircraft, the first flights of those, autographed by particular people, you know, luminaries of aviation. J- just finding that and keeping focused on that. I've occasionally branched out into other little things here and there, but at the end of the day, it's by no means doesn't dominate the collection. And there's, believe me, there's, there's a lot of temptation, whether it be topical, whether it be various uh World War II censored mailing covers, uh just the fact that you have beyond the United States, you could go Canada, you could go Canal Zone, you could go you know countries that are no longer uh Zanzibar or all these places that just are our memories.
0: And are those somewhat still your challenges today, or do you have new challenges?
1: Well, like I said, I'll I'll try to find new projects here and there. The 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 founders of the association I work for building that out. That's one I've worked on for a couple, about two or three years now, uh, off and on. Pilot autographs are are tough from the get go because they didn't sign a lot of stuff. You know, trying to find that that new thing where you go, oh, okay, that's interesting, or finding particular focus. And kind of doing a hard target search on that for a little while, but then backing up and going, okay, we have to put that on the back burner. What's the new thing I can look for? And hopefully serendipity comes into play. And while you're looking for the new thing, the old thing pops up. Things like eBay have kind of helped with that a little bit. Uh, One of the big problems with eBay is stuff is generally either overpriced or underpriced, one of the two. Uh, There's a lot of value to be had there, but there's also a lot of ripoffs to be had. Um, and there's a few things I've gotten there that's gone, oh man, I really don't want to pay that price for it. But I also know I'm probably not gonna see it again anytime soon. So do you take the opportunity and then dial back on that and go, okay, well, at least I have that done. Yeah, I may have overpaid, I may have paid more than I want to for it or or not. You know, on eBay you can go, well, it's almost always there. You know. So you don't really have to worry about it. It's like, well, okay, if it's a ridiculous price, I know I don't know anyone who's gonna buy that. So it's kind of safe. But the last instance on eBay where there was something I paid a little more for, it was because I was actually writing this story about it <laughs> that I went, uh, OK, you know, I'd really done some over the top research on this story, you know, going to museums. I actually tracked down the guy who located it and got the rec site and got his biography, unpublished biography and a few other things. So that's a story that I'm hoping I end up sending off to air and space here in a few months. but. We'll see.
0: You know, you got time. And once it comes out, if because this episode's coming out in a few next year, actually, because I'm recording out of schedule. So we can even add that in there as well.
1: Eh, well, we'll see. I mean, the problem with freelance writing is I, I, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough to do it in my position. My day-to-day job allows me to write about topics in aviation, but not particularly germane to what I do on the day-to-day. Um, as pretty, pretty much as long as I stay away from airline stuff, I'm good. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, you know, freelance stuff, I have one article that I submitted the manuscript for a year ago, and I just got the contract for it about two weeks ago. So, I mean, the good thing is historic stuff is generally evergreen material, kind of like this podcast, um, where you could just sit in a hopper and one day they go, okay, yeah, let's do it now.
0: It's going to age like fine wine.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Although this, oddly enough, this last one, it, it didn't quite as well because it was about a uh, maintenance course that the one I went to about a year ago, and it's undergone some changes in the meanwhile. But the good thing is, it's going to be a couple months before the article runs, so it's a chance to go. Oh, hey, thanks for buying the article. Now, few little notes here we need to make.
0: <laughs> just, just a tap, Just, just, a, just a smidge. Just one thing. Let me just take out the giant permanent marker. This, this, this. Well, not this.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, as long as the word counts the same, they generally don't mind.
0: And uh, to go on to something a little more darker, yeah, evil darkness. What are some misconceptions about people who collect stamps and airmail?
1: Uh, I don't know because I found that most misconceptions generally have a grain of truth to them <laughs> in, in terms of the demographics. And, uh, you know, I, I will say that, you know, I'm one of the few people who doesn't wear eyeglasses or doesn't have gray hair. Uh, the things that I go to, although that's not necessarily 100 percent, although there are, you know, there is a diverse group of people there. You do see all the, you know, every ethnic group that you would imagine, every race, creed, color, gender there. It's not exclusively the purview of old men. Is it growing? That's tough to say just because you don't really know all the metrics. I, I've, The prices are still there. You're not I, I haven't seen a big price drop over the years. I've been doing this. Um, if anything, I've seen the prices probably go up. Stuff that I got, oh wow, hey, you know, I bought that a while ago. Now it's selling for a uh, similar one selling for a lot more. I would say it is a little bit slow to change. A case in point, you know, take the American Air Mail Society. They have no way to if you want to join the association, you still gotta send in a paper application and the like and and a check. Uh, write out a you know a check, a personal check. Uh,
0: you heard of those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, 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 the paper things, right? <laughs> yeah. The things that gives you paper cuts.
1: You, you might want, you can probably send them your credit card number too, but I'm not sure I'd do that. I think they'd rather have the personal check or money order. So that, you know, there is some slowness to adapt to modern times in that. I'm not even sure they have a Facebook group. <laughs> it would surprise me if they did. The, the <laughs> president of the uh Mail Association is actually a friend of mine. Uh, we've done some some talking, and you definitely – it can be like going to a library in terms of going through the pages of stuff. If you remember the old card catalogs, the stuff is almost always stored in a very similar thing with kind of a little bit wider, a little bit taller cardboard boxes. I wouldn't say I'm – I try not to be overly concerned about the, the condition of stuff. I mean, it, I, I keep it in a nice, safe spot, but, you know, like a crash cover – it's already folded up, wrinkled up into a ball, burned, soaked in water, and, uh, you know, torn in half. There's not much more I could do to it to to mess it up. <laughs> Some people would argue that it's part of the attraction. It's
0: like, look at this mess. It's beautiful. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I like the optimistic, like the positive side of it. That's good.
1: Right. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to go out,
0: and,
1: <laughs> you know, turn it in half, roll it up into a ball, light it on fire, put it out. and You like, but at the same time, it's all part of the story.
0: Exactly. Part of the experience. It's part of the journey. And speaking of which, for people who might be interested in joining this journey, do you have any word of advice for them?
1: Probably best off to to just literally go to a stamp show. Um, There are generally local stamp clubs, depending on where you live, that you can join and kind of get a, a feel for it. But just start small. Find out what you like. And build upon that. For me, you know, it was aviation. But you collect Christmas items. uh, You can collect postal mistakes, errors. Kind of like, as I said earlier, with aviation, there's so much stuff out there. It's impossible to get it all. So you need to really find a focus and kind of focus on that, whatever it is. Hopefully it has meaning to you. Do it because you love it, not because you're going to make money on it. I generally don't sell my stuff. Just from the standpoint of, you know, I don't want to say they're like children, but they're each one of them is a story. And I have a connection to it. Not so much the story of acquiring it. I'm not big on that, but just the story that it represents.
0: So you're telling me that I might be screwed because I just I talk about all the hobbies. <laughs>
1: right. Well, you know, and you can't do them all. But that's your niche is OK. You you. you Stick your toe in each one and go okay, and live vicariously through the experience of others.
0: Yes, exactly. Your hobby is my hobby now. For this hour, it's this is my hobby. <laughs>
1: hey, you know, welcome to it.
0: Yes, I have to start working on my collection right now before this episode ends.
1: Well, like I said, send your mail address. I'll uh, <laughs> I'll get you started.
0: Well, if it comes that quick, yo, that, that'd be amazing.
1: <laughs> uh, I'll stick it in the mail tomorrow.
0: <laughs> nice. Uh, so yes, I've asked this question at the beginning of the episode, but I'll ask it again at the end. Do you have any websites, links, social media, projects, or anything else that you'd love to share? It can be related to uh, stamps, airmail, or even anything else at all.
1: Uh, let's see. Check-6.com. Check spelled out hyphenated six spelled out S-I-X.com. Um, that's mostly history. There is a museum aspect to that. That's I haven't really kept up as much as I should. Uh, and then ChristopherFreeze.com. Facebook and Twitter. That's Mr. Freeze. F-R-E-E-Z-E is in cold. YouTube videos there of various flights I've done. Instagram.
0: <laughs> perfect. You know what? I'll put all those down below again. I'm not going to do it twice. I mean, like, the first yeah. time, it's going to be one time. I said it at the beginning. like, yeah, I'm going to put it down. And now, now I'm saying I'm going to put it down again. Oh, <laughs> so, I'll send you all the links uh, vis-a-vis email. Perfect. Perfect. You know what? No. Send it by post. Airmail.
1: Uh, might take a little longer. And... The handwriting might be a little messy.
0: Well, the episode's coming out in a few months, so I'm kidding. Don't have to do that. Don't. Email Email's fine for now. <laughs> but it would be cool to get that by airmail. That'd be really cool.
1: Uh, you know, the, the thing is, airmail's much more opaque nowadays. It, you just, so much stuff is sent by it, It's you, you don't even know anymore. It, it's gotten to it's gotten to that level, as opposed to it being each thing being unique. It's now just kind of thrown in with everything. And most stuff is trucked, some of it's rail. But you know, if it's a priority or express, it's probably going via airplane. You know, anything FedEx, if you're saying it FedEx next day or the like, it's going on an airplane and it's probably stopping off in Memphis before it goes to wherever else.
0: And also Airmail had such a magical thing back then because it was so new, it was so rare. And then when you received it, it was like, whoa. This yeah. was once in the you, air. Yeah, there they were well, and because you know, the airplane was still a new
1: thing. You know, we went from 1903, you know, Wilbur and Orville Wright on the beaches of Kill Devil Hills to 15 years later. Okay, we're using this tool to send mail up and down the coast from the big cities to transcontinental flights on a regular basis. 12 years later, in 1927, to regularly to kind of having the Pony Express version of it through the contractor thing through the 1930s to World War II crop coming around, and you had. Everything there and going all metal aircraft and cargo aircraft, DC-3s filling the skies. Uh, And then shortly after that, jet jet aircraft. The first ones, uh, the Canadian jetliner, which is actually the first piece of jet airmail.
0: Man, history is interesting. It's just like learning all these little things and learning different perspectives of it. Sorry, different perspectives of it. There's (laughs) a tongue twister for you or for me, actually.
1: Yeah, Yeah, but... A lot of people don't know that the first jet aircraft, commercial jet aircraft was Canadian aircraft.
0: And now I know. There you go. So you're teaching, you've always been teaching me this whole episode you've been teaching me. That's why I've asked all the questions. So there are something else. i to <laughs> Yeah, you know, something else to add to the memory. And now for the last question. Do you have any questions for me about collecting stamps or airmail?
1: The better question is, do you have any more questions on that? I mean, I, can, I, I don't know what you do or don't know. Um, <laughs> Or your life experience. I mean, for all I know, you have a whole binder or you know, rows of binders back there <sighs> where your grandfather was a, a avid stamp collector and passed them all to you. And you know, everything that I've mentioned I'm looking for, you're you're looking at right now, kind of <laughs> smirking, going, sucker. Yeah, I did
0: this I did this whole podcast just to see how many stamps more than I have from you. Like, yeah, I have I have five more than him. Yeah, I'm better. <laughs> I, I've heard sillier things. <laughs> really? Oh no. Well, no, no. Like Usually some people ask me like a quiz, like, what did you learn? Or what did you know about airmail before? Or uh, are you interested in picking up this hobby? Or uh, have you ever seen one in your life? But I guess a question I can ask you, if you want me to ask one more question is, if you were to design one from scratch, like a stamp from scratch, what would you put? Like your own, like, would you put your face? Would you do that? Like, make one? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't want to scare small people. <laughs> Probably some
1: sort of Love letter to aviation mural in terms of you know various colors, something akin to <laughs> as terrible as an analogy that it, as it is, uh, the um Spanish Civil War bombing of the town that I think it was Picasso did, something you know, with all the symbolism in it, or maybe something akin to Salvador Dali with the persistence of time, you know, some sort of semi. Uh, That's not impressionist, but uh, modernist art thing. Like I said, a love letter to aviation, Uh, maybe collecting stamps in general, although, you know, various stamp collecting stamps have been made over the years. You know, something that inspires people to take up flying, really. I mean, that's that's really where I, I more live, if you were.
0: Well, you know what? I love how you connect both of those together, and hopefully, people listening to this, you know, if they are starting a stamp collection, maybe pick up flying or vice versa. That are flying, that start a stamp and airmail collection, because you know it doesn't hurt anybody.
1: (laughs) Yeah, really. I mean, it's in many cases it's already been paid for. I mean, you're just paying the 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 guy to give it to you, really, or whatever he thinks someone else will give him for it. But like I said, you can't get it all
0: unless you work with a group of people. Then you can make a communal collection <laughs> you won't get them all but you'll get pretty close maybe maybe not i don't know
1: <laughs> yeah you know the problem is possession always ends up uh being a, a humanist thing in terms of you know oh well okay well i contributed that and you know
0: i can imagine it's like hey tuesdays and wednesdays is my time with this stamp
1: yeah divide it, it in half yeah. <laughs> uh, it doesn't quite work that way unless direct as we
0: talked about it earlier it does not work that way but it would be funny if it did <laughs> So, uh, yeah, there you have it. Another body with a hobby. Thank you so much, Chris, for coming on and just teaching me more about airmail. And I can assure you that I do not have a collection. I was not comparing my airmail collection and stamp collection with you. So you do have the superior collection. I got to beat someone, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Who to beat better than Alex? Yeah, beat Alex. Alex is in every episode. Everybody beats me because they, they know more about their hobby than I do. So it's completely fair.
1: <laughs> there you go.
0: So if you guys want to learn more about Chris, you should go check him out. I'll put all the links in the description below, so it'll be very easy to find. And if you wouldn't like to be on my podcast or have any questions at all, you can send me an email at timefoyourhobby at gmail.com. And of course, if you like the podcast, you know, I accept reviews, good or bad. Any reviews help. And of course, if you want to show some more support, I sell merchandise on Redbubble and I also have a Patreon, but those are only optional and, you know, I can still enjoy the podcast and enjoy wonderful people like Chris for free. So once again, thank you so much, Chris. My pleasure. So until the next episode, make some time for your hobby. Take care.